in what we've called kind of a mini-series, two, a two-part series entitled Get Off the Fence. And last week, we discussed getting off the fence in this area, making the hard decision. Life is made up of decisions, and some of them are hard to make. And so what happens is oftentimes we just put it off. We got all the facts in. We know what's right. We just keep staying status quo. And some of us need to just make that decision. Make that hard decision. Get off the fence. Today we're going to talk about this word compromise. Getting off the fence and stop compromising. You know, it was mentioned earlier before we sang that song, In God We Trust, that our nation has no longer, is no longer following in our forefathers' steps, if you will, the, the, the foundation that was laid. The reason why in God we trust is on our currency is, is truly no longer being lived out as a nation. What's scarier is, can be said of the church today as well. You know, I'm not so sure we need to spend all our time praying for our nation. I'm, I'm wondering if we need to spend time praying for the church. So I'd like to begin today by not pointing our fingers at Washington or the elections or, or who's running for office. But I'd like for us to look inward today and to ask all of us maybe simply this question. What areas in my life am I on the fence in? So, so let's, let's start with an example of a pastor in Germany. I, I got this sent to me this week from Elsa, Portugal. You know, and sometimes... Not to be spooky, but I don't look at anything as a coincidence. Sometimes, you know, you get something and you say, I wonder why he sent me that. Well, I, I knew the message and, and, and what we were going to be speaking about this morning. So when he sent me this rant, he didn't know what I was preaching on. When he sent me this, this video of a pastor in Germany, I thought, you know, this would be good for us to watch the first minute and 30 seconds of this video just to see that it's not just America. Where churches are beginning to compromise, not stand for God's word, but it's all over the world. So listen to this preacher in Germany as he kind of describes uh, in, a, in an interview his situation. This is a pastor who knows there is a cost for speaking out boldly, especially in today's Germany, where standing on the Bible without compromise is viewed by many as bigoted, hateful, and even unchristian. Pastor Olaf Lotzel has been attacked in the media, investigated by the local government, and even condemned by fellow pastors. His crime? Refusing to bend a knee to political correctness. I'm only preaching the gospel in a clear way. This is my, my duty to do this preaching in this way for our Lord. In his sermons, Lotzel cuts no corners and soft pedals nothing. To some, he might sound mean when he attacks other religions. But Lotzel is standing against what he sees as a spirit of compromise that seems to have swallowed Germany and the German state church. In the process, he has angered the German establishment and a lot of other German pastors. Mix one very politically correct European nation with a pastor who refuses to compromise on the word of God, and you have the perfect storm. Lotzel says the battle in Germany today is over who God is. They said, Allah and our God, the Christian God, Jesus Christ, is the same God. If you tell a Muslim, 
has your God a son? He would say, no. Our God has a son. His name is Jesus Christ. So they are not the same. If you speak out loud and clearly the truths of the Bible, that there's only one way to heaven, and this way is Jesus Christ. There's only one God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's no other God beside him. Then you have problem. You know, if you speak that way in America, it's beginning to be a problem. The things that he shared really are, are, are parallel to what some of the things that we're beginning to experience as a nation here in America. Sometimes I think it's just good to hear from someone else far, far away. And it begins, we begin to realize that we are one body. That there is a church, and that church of Jesus Christ, in many ways, is compromising today. You know, compromise in the life of a believer is something Scripture teaches that we should detest. We really should learn to hate compromise. You know, I, I walk the property a lot here at Gospel Light. I like to walk. I walk to work almost every day and live pretty close to the church. And, and I like to walk around the property. I, I, I enjoy kind of even taking the long route maybe to my destination. Just exercise. And plus, I, I've got one of those smartphones that counts your steps. And I have a goal every day. Anybody else like that, you know? And I'm not too happy when it's below my goal, you know? That's kind of maybe a, a me-only thing. But, you know, I've noticed something about weeds that you can pluck weeds out and feel really good about it and feel like, you know what, man, that looks better. And then a few days later, walk by that same spot and those crummy things are back. They're back. They, they seem to always come back, you know, you, and, and you got to dig them up again. And, you know, compromise is like that. Compromise is something that you, you have to be willing to consistently battle in your life. You just can't leave it. Alone, You've got to work at it and root it out of your life. Compromise is this. When I know what is right, but I'm not, I'm not doing it. And I know it's right. I've been taught that. I mean, I know that. I, I, this isn't my first rodeo. I mean, I, I've been, I know what the Bible says about that. I, I, know, I know scripture teaches that I should do this, but, but and here comes my explanation. And guess what my explanation is? It's compromise. This is how I'm getting around the truth. This is how I'm going to explain to you. Just hear me out. I'm going to tell you why I'm not doing what I know I should be doing. And that 10-minute explanation, I sit and hear them all the time. I sit and hear just people talk about why they're not doing what they should be doing. And so today, in 2 Kings chapter 22, we find this amazing guy. His name's Josiah. He was king in Israel at the time of the writing of chapter 22. And he seems to be in the Old Testament, the poster boy for no compromise of any kind under any circumstances. In fact, the scripture teaches us in 2 Kings 22, it's, it, it kind of lays out his testimony. He was eight years old when he began to reign. He reigned 30 and 1 years in Jerusalem. Verse 2, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in all the way of David his father. And he turned not to the right hand or to the left. What Josiah did was, is he made a choice. And that's what I'm asking you to consider this morning with me. To get off the fence and to make a choice. In the areas we know what's Right. 
I'm talking to the church today. I'm talking to to believers today sitting in this room. And maybe there's even been some raising in a Christian home in your life. Or there's been some sort of a time period in your life where, where you were taught the scriptures. But now there's some things you're not doing. And you've got your excuses. You've got your explanation. But today... We're going to deal with the compromise and, and make a choice like Josiah did. But you know, sometimes when we come to these places in Scripture, you know what really helps me and what I'm trying to maybe teach you a little bit here over the last few weeks is to understand the context in which this was written. The time frame in which it was written. The circumstances under which it was written. So let's go back to chapter 21 because what we see in chapter 21, the chapter before Josiah became king, was a man by the name of Manasseh. You'll notice in chapter 21 that this man named Manasseh was 55 years, for 55 years rather, he reigned in Israel. Manasseh was a very wicked king. In fact, he was the most wicked king, the worst king ever. There is not even a close second. We're going to read about a really bad dude that compromised. Notice in verse 1, for 12 years... He began to reign and reigned 50 and 5 years. He did that which was evil. Just an interesting stat for you to know. 40 kings spoken of in the Old Testament. And of those 40, it was said of 30 of them that they did what was evil. 75% of the kings did what was evil. Only 25% did what was right. It's not always popular to do what's Right. Verse 3, he built up again the high places. Well, let's read verse 2, the rest of verse 2. I'm sorry. He did evil after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. He built up again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. Which tells us something. Hezekiah was a good king. Hezekiah was one of the best kings. And Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, did not do what was right. And he tore down everything that Hezekiah had built up. And he reared up altars for Baal. And he made a grove as did Ahab. We talked about Ahab last week, king of Israel. And he worshipped all the host of heaven and he served them. Meaning the stars and the moons. The Bible speaks in Romans chapter 1 of those that worship the creation more than they worship the creator. And sometimes we can be guilty of that. Worshiping God's creation without recognizing the creator of all of those things and worshiping him. He built altars in verse 4 in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said in Jerusalem will I put my name. But he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his son pass through the fire. His own son. He, he, he burned his own son. He offered his own son as a sacrifice in this wicked worship. He used enchantments. He dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke God to anger. So let's start with this, shall we? Part number one, let's talk about how does compromise happen. Because in chapter 22, we find a king that didn't compromise. But in chapter 21, we find Manasseh compromising. So how did all this happen? Where did it all start? Number one is where it all happened and where it all started. And that is this, that compromise starts very slowly over time. You've got to get this, church. 
Compromise happens very slowly over time. It doesn't happen in a moment. I have found that the crisis of life, they have a way of, of revealing something that has been happening for a long time. Think about it. The crisis of life has a way of revealing something that has been happening for a long time. So here we are in the crisis. Here we are at the worst place. Here we are where the devastation comes. But trust me, this did not just happen. This catastrophe did not just happen all of a sudden. Oh my goodness, I am in a mess. No, it happened very slowly over time. Look at 2 Kings chapter 21, verse number 1. Manasseh was 12 years old. It says here that he built up these, these idols and these things in his life. And, and then notice it says here that he made his son pass through the fire. Verse 6, he observed times, used enchantments, dealt with familiar spirits and wizards, and wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke God to anger over 55 years. Over 55 years, this is what took place. It didn't just happen. It happened very slowly over 55 years. Could I take some time to address our church family about some areas of compromise that I see seeping into the church? Number one, alcohol. You know, 23 years ago, it's interesting, I, I, I rarely ever had anybody want to discuss whether or not it's right or wrong to consume alcohol. Today, even in our church, all of a sudden, this subject of alcohol is being brought up as if it's okay. Got young teenage boys asking me, some of your children asking me, what, what, hey, what do you think about alcohol? You know, the Bible kind of says it's not real clear about that. And all of a sudden, this, this compromise begins to, to set in. And, and we begin to take uh, things that, that we, we read in Scripture and, and make it kind of fit our lives. And so all of a sudden, what we would never do, we occasionally do. And then what we occasionally do over time, we begin to do regularly. And then what we regularly do over time, we begin to abuse. And then what we abuse consumes us and over time alcohol can destroy a life and can i tell you there's some people in here who have experienced what alcohol can do to someone and when you talk to that person they really appreciate the stand that our church takes the position without arrogance without being unscriptural we just say without question no one can argue this it is best not to consume alcohol it is best. Could I just say to the church today that all of a sudden, raising up in, in a lot of young people this desire to consume alcohol, where, where is that coming from? And where can you and I stop the compromise? I think of the word integrity. You know, sometimes I think it's easy to compromise in this area. 
all of a sudden we begin to say things like this. And again, it's long explanations. It's something we just can't say, this is where we stand. We kind of have to explain the reason why I don't do that anymore is because, you know what, you just got to stay up with everybody. You know, other businesses are doing that. So we, you know, we're never going to get ahead until, and all of a sudden we begin talking in areas that we would never have gone before. But, you know, we got to kind of keep up. And I know it's not probably the best, but, you know, and, and we babble our way through. Morality. Morality is an issue that seems to be creeping into the church as a conversation of what's wrong and what's right and this is okay and nobody really knows. And yeah, I look at that, but you know, I mean, nobody, nobody, it's not hurting anybody and, and it's not a big thing. And all of a sudden, our private thoughts that lead to sinful action begin to consume us. And what began as a small compromise ends in an affair. And I've seen it happen over and over again. In the area of finances, financially, if we're not careful, we begin to compromise. Well, you know, Brother Eric, I appreciate some of the, some of the talking and teaching on tithing. And you know what? We're, we're going to start. We're going to start January 1. You know, we just got to get some things in order. Isn't that what you said last year? Well, yeah, but, you know, I mean, yeah, but, but, but it's a little different now because we had some things happen that we didn't expect. And, and our explanation, as we babble on, means this. I'm compromising. I know it's right. I'm just not going to do it. One day I'll do it. In the area of family first. An area that's affected my life. An area where... I allowed my schedule, the church, things that happened over a period of time, slowly but surely in my life, took me away from being a, a, a consistent dad, a, 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 a husband who was home more than he wasn't home. And over time, it got way out of hand and way out of control. And about seven, eight, nine years ago, I needed someone to take me and say, Eric, listen to me. What are you doing? Look What's happened? Look at the facts. Look at how much you're gone. Look at how many games you're missing of your boy. And I had to look at that and say, man, family's not first. There's a lot of other things in my life that are first. You know, when I say that, I understand God is first. But just for a moment, I want to stick up for the family. Because I think you know what I'm talking about. You know, dads, you're not first. Your wives are first. Your kids are first. Your hobbies aren't first. Your kids are first. Your wife is first. What you want to do, take yourself off the throne, and it'd be much better to, to allow your family to have a say in, 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 in your life and your schedule and for you to be able to listen to them and share. This can be an area of compromise. It has been for me. And then I walk with God. Isn't that an area we compromise in? Isn't it amazing how, how we always have an excuse? And, and you know, well, years ago, I, I had a better walk with God, and I used to go to church more often, and I used to read my Bible and pray, and I did a whole, years ago, but, you know, things have changed, and it got busier, and this happened, and that happened, and, and all that, and I, I know it should be at church, and one day we're going to come back, and stop listening to yourself. Are we compromising in our walk with God. 
And so first of all, compromise starts very slowly over time. Number two, compromise brings God's discipline every time. If you are a child of God, if you truly are a Christian, if you really have a, a have had a salvation experience where you've accepted Jesus Christ, you've made him Lord of your life, then I can promise you he will discipline you. Now, he won't if you're not. You can get away with murder in this life. You just keep getting away with it. Nothing will ever happen, and, and you'll enjoy however long you live. And then Scripture tells us the unsaved will spend an eternity separated from God And their punishment ends up being eternal. But those of us that know Jesus Christ experience his discipline now. As a child of God, we are chastened. We know in scripture it says, whom the Lord, what? Loves. If he loves you, he chastens you. Notice here in 2 Kings chapter 21, we have an illustration of these people whom God loved. Beginning in verse number 8. It says, neither will I make the feet of Israel move any more out of the land which I gave their fathers, only if they will observe to do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they hearkened not. They didn't listen. They did not obey. Verse 10, and the Lord spake by his servants, the prophets, and he said this, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations and hath done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols, therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. Interpretation, simply this. God says, I'm going to bring such judgment upon the country of Israel... That when people hear about it, they're going to say, what? God did what? Oh, are you serious? And I'll stretch over Jerusalem, the line of Samaria, and the plummet of the house of Ahab. And I'll wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish. Wiping it and turning it upside down. God says, I'm going to wipe Jerusalem. I'm going to bring such discipline upon Jerusalem. It'll be like someone who wipes a dish and turns it upside down to make sure. Listen, my mother-in-law knows how to clean a dish. Mrs. Joe gets, she, she labors over that dish, and she cleans that dish, and she looks to make sure before she puts it back in that cupboard, it is wiped clean. Wiped out, clean. I appreciate it. And God says, that's how I'll discipline a nation. I'll wipe it out. I'll get it clean, one way or the other. And I'll forsake the remnant of mine inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become a prey and a spoil to their enemies. And God does all of this with a broken heart. God does all of this because he loves the country of Israel. And I believe that God today is bringing judgment upon the church because he loves the church. He loves you and I. He loves us so much. Don't ever think that God's discipline is not loving. God would rather see you living anywhere but in compromise. God would rather you be in a hospital bed all flat on your back than living in compromise. God would rather you be in bankruptcy than living in compromise. God would rather you be broken hearted than living in compromise. 
You see, if you sign up to love Jesus Christ with all of your heart, mind, body, and soul, he is not letting go. He's not letting go. The Bible teaches us in the New Testament that he who began a good work in you, he will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. He will get it done. He will discipline us and love us enough to chasten us back into right living, into non-compromising. So compromise brings God's discipline. Number three, compromise, have you ever noticed this? It's contagious. You ever ever seen that? It affects people around you. When you begin to compromise, it affects others in our lives. 2 Kings 21, verse 19. Ammon was 20 and 2 years old when he began to reign. Manasseh now, after 55 years, is dead. His son Ammon now reigns, but only for two years. You see that? He reigned just two years. What's the story with that? Verse 20. Well, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, just like his father did. And he walked in all the way that his father walked and served the idols that his father served. Like father, like son. It's contagious. It affects others in our own family. He forsook the Lord, verse 22. He walked not in the way of the Lord, and the servants of Ammon conspired against him. All of a sudden now, we see those that are with Ammon begin to conspire against him, and they killed him in verse 23. They killed the king in his own house. And the people of the land slew all them that conspired against King Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his set. How many times have I seen this happen as a pastor? compromise begin to spread to others how sad has it been for me oftentimes to see someone wreck their life but only then to see a parent who neglected to take the time that they needed to take or a parent who compromised and then their children took it way farther than they took it how often time have i seen that happen in a young man or a young lady way too often one of the most devastating things about pastoring a church is watching compromise destroy families. It's devastating. It's just, it's so hard to watch when there's really nothing you can do sometimes except for just pray and preach, teach. Let's get to part two. Because part two, we begin to find solutions. Amen? How do you put a stop to this? I don't want this to happen to my family. I don't want this to happen in my church. How do I put a stop to compromise? Well, let's follow Josiah's example. His example was this, that he did what was right, and he walked in all the ways of David. He turned not to the right hand or to the left hand. So what did he do? Simply put, he did this. He found the places in the temple that were broken down that needed to be fixed, and he built them up again. So let's make it, let's make it for us. Find the places in your life that are broken down and build them up again. Find the areas in your life. In what place, in what places in your life is God broken down in? It's just not what it ought to be. Compromise has eroded this area and, and it's slipping and it's not where it used to be. And you can see it affecting your children. It's affecting the church. It's, it's affecting people. And, and, and let's find that area. I got it. There it is. I located that area. Now I need to fix it. And when I fix it, it's going to begin to help other people around me. So let's find it. 
and let's fix it. Stop neglecting it. Can I give you some suggestions? Number one, let's talk about the priority of God in your home. The priority of God in your home. Let's talk about God's place in your family for just a minute because sometimes that's where the compromise is, isn't it? Have you ever seen compromise coming to your home through entertainment? I mean, let me tell you something, folks. It's not all Cinderella anymore. There's so much garbage on television. And God's been dealing with me about this even recently. I'm just, I I, want to speak up into this corporately to you and to all of us because entertainment can be an area that slips in over time. It just kind of keeps creeping up because television's getting worse, not better. Let's face it. Let's just be honest. I know it's easy to make excuses. What's this TV? Well, you know, what? Not bad. Well, you know, they, they, the scene changed before they got completely nude. And all of a sudden, we're, we're making all of these excuses why this is okay. Entertainment habits. What about prayer before meals? Seems simple. Sometimes that can erode over time. What about just having discussions with your children? You know, sometimes we compromise in that area, just simply not taking the time to talk to our kids about the compromise. And over time, we, 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 we just ignore that. We don't talk to our children because we've got so much going on. We've got this happening, that happening. So what we do is every now and then we just kind of fly off the handle and we make this crazy verdict or edict in our homes and it provokes our children to wrath as opposed to saying, Let's discuss this. Some of you may need to have a discussion about alcohol and where you stand. Some of you need to make, maybe have a discussion and say, well, preacher, where do I start that discussion? Start it and, and just let the Lord lead you. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. And listen, don't be wrathful. Don't watch the tone of your voice. There's no need for that. We don't need to get ugly about things and mean spirit about things. Don't provoke your children to wrath, but have discussions. Kids need to know what the Bible says, and why you believe what you believe. They need to know that. And they don't need it to be this. Well, as long as you're under my roof, that's not a Bible answer. That is not a Bible. There's no scripture that says, as long as you're under my roof. You see, you've got to have scripture. And if you need help, come talk to me. Talk to an elder. Talk to your small group. Bring it up. Say, you know what? Could anybody in my small group help me out? I need to discuss some things in our home, and I'm just... Has anybody ever dealt with this before? You say, you mean bring it up like in front of people? Yeah. People that love you. That's what small group's all about. One of the reasons why we're in such trouble is because we've internalized everything because we need to look like we've got it all together and we're falling apart. We don't want anybody to know. It's okay for people to know that we're struggling. Let me tell you why. Because they're struggling. They're struggling. They're thinking the same exact thing you are. Why do you think I share my struggles in this pulpit? I share them because one, they're real and they happen. Two, I'm human and I'm normal. And three, I'm hoping it'll help you to open up some. Because we need each other. And these discussions are so important if we're going to fix things. Talk about your schedule. What is God's place in your schedule? Is church still optional? Are you kind of a hit and miss deal? Is it where you still kind of ask the question, hey guys, uh, we're going to church today. That, that should not really be a, a, a point of discussion, whether or not we're going to church. Is God in your schedule every week on Sunday mornings? Is God in your schedule every week for small group? 
There's an option with your teens as to whether or not they're going to go Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Well, I just got to leave it up to them. You know, we need to get back to God being in our schedules. What's broken down in your family? Number two, let's reprioritize God's word in our families. Because that's what Josiah did. I love this. This may be my favorite part, for me at least, in the sermon. In verse 8, it says, And Hilkiah the high priest says to Shaphan the scribe, here's what he says, Oh, my soul. By the way, that's added. Oh, my goodness. You're not going to believe this. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. It's incredible. But I found God's word. You know what's interesting about God's word? It's, it's on Bucky's lap. It's, now, it's on Bucky's lap hard copy. It's on Debbie's lap through iPad. Is that iPad? Good. And that's good. So we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight copies of God's Word on the front row. That's awesome. Can I tell you something? In some countries, we're having to smuggle the Word of God in. It's against the law in some countries to have a copy of God's Word. And yet you and I have the privilege of having it with us on Sundays. But does this ever happen to you Sunday morning? Where is my Bible? Oh, yeah. I I left it in the car Sunday after church. It's right where it was last Sunday. You see, what we need to do is find our Bibles near us every day. It doesn't need to be such, oh, my goodness, I, I found it. No, it needs to be in our lives every day. It doesn't need to be. Notice they didn't even, in one portion it says that they read from the book. It's almost as if they... And I'm reading into this just a little bit, but for sake of example, it's almost like they were so unfamiliar with what God had said for so long that they didn't even know it was God's word. It's just a book. And I'm going to tell you something. That Bible in your lap is not just any book. It is God's word. God breathed his word. And you and I have a copy of that Bible, probably 20, 30 in our homes. I'm simply saying this is the book we need to get back to in our homes Verse 9, and Shaphan the scribe came to the king, and he brought the king word again. And, and he said, thy servants have gathered money that was found in the house, and we've delivered it to the hand of them to do the work. Verse 10, and Shaphan the scribe showed the king, say, saying, Hilkiah the priest had delivered me the book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And I love this part. This is really Sonia's song. And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. He rent his clothes. He heard God's word and he said, oh my goodness. It's so powerful. It's life changing. And Josiah's heart broke as he realized the word of God was speaking. It was pouring down like rain. It was becoming clear again. In verse 13, go ye, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us. Why is this wrath kindled against us? Because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all that is written in therein concerning us. And so I simply say, let's reprioritize God's word like Josiah did. Where are you at in regards to God's word? 
Could you answer that question for me personally? Not out loud, obviously, but just personally, internally. Where are you at? Is, you know, if this was where you, where you started, January 1, January 1, I'm going to read my Bible through this year, and November 1 of the same year, where are you at? Is it, has it been like sometimes it is for me up and down, and I've got to catch up a little bit? Now, thankfully now, I'm, I'm on a roll. I'm ahead. I'm, 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 I'm excited. I'm going to finish way overboard unless I backslide in the next couple of weeks. But sometimes I find myself catching up, you know, kind of, I've got to get back to where I was. Why? Because you always have to fight compromise in your life. You've got to fight it. It comes back like weeds, and you've got to be on guard. So some of us, I think, today need to address the idea, is God's word prioritized in our homes? Because you cannot flourish spiritually without regular time in God's word. And that's my personal journey, is I've had to constantly rebuild that and reprioritize that in my life. And yes, I'm the pastor. Sorry how it is if people are honest number three we need to repent over compromise repent over compromise that's what Josiah did in verse 18 of chapter 22 he repented look at it but to the king of Judah which sent you to inquire of the Lord thus shall you say to him thus saith the Lord God of Israel as touching the words which thou hast heard because thine heart was tender and thou hast humbled thyself Josiah because you were tender because you were penitent might be a good word there because you were soft because you were responsive then I can I can I can bring healing to your life to your heart so the question then is this are you soft-hearted or are you hard-hearted which one you see it's interesting, but Hebrews 4, 7 says this. On the screen it says, as it is said today, if you'll hear his voice, word of God, speak, and then harden not your hearts, because that's what we do. We hear God's word, and then we say, didn't really do anything for me. I'm not going to change anything. Can we leave? That's it. No change. But when we're soft, here's how we feel. Whew, man. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Oh, God. Oh, oh God. I'm so sorry. Lord, this is, I need this, God. I need you to change my life. I need you, God. This country's not right. This, oh, God, I want my family to serve you again. That's what happens when we're soft-hearted. We we're so tender. We're so responsive. We're so penitent. We just want to get right. We don't leave like this. Now forget it. We don't leave like this. Hey, good message, Pastor. See you next Sunday. Hey, you were funny on part two. I like the funny part. We like the funny part. But this part... And by the way, let me just tell you this. I like the funny part too, okay? This is not easy to do, but I don't know any other way around preaching God's word in 2015, but then to lovingly and kindly say to our church family, let's not compromise. And so, is your heart tender? 
Look at Psalm 51, 17, last verse. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And then finally, we're done. Remove God's enemies. Remove God's enemies. Here's what you've got to do now. You've got to get it out. You've got to get it out of your life. It's, it's just all throughout Scripture. When you get to this place, then you get up off your knees and you say, okay, what do I need to get out? Look, if you would, please, at verse 4, at a few things that Josiah got out. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priest of the second order, and the keepers of the door, to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal. Verse 5, and he put down the idolatrous priest. Verse 6, and he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord and burned it at the brook. Verse 7, and he brake down the houses of the Sodomites. Basically, Josiah just said, look, this can't happen anymore. We've got to get this straight. We've got to fix this. We've got to get this out. We've got to turn this channel. We've got to fix this computer issue. We've got to, we've got to guard this. We've got to put protection on this site. We've got to fix this problem in our finances. We've got to do this. Let's clean it up. Let's get it right. Let's repair the house. Let's repair the house because God has spoken. And we're tender. And so I'm going to take this down in my life. And I'm going to change this in my life. And guess what? Now, over time, things are getting better. Things are getting better. God is so good. And I mean, there were consequences for my compromise, but God in his mercy has, is bringing things around and my kids are coming back and, and my finances are looking better. And, and I just feel so relieved that finally I've dealt with this stuff in my life that I've just been ignoring. That's what this is all about. So get off the fence. Just get off the fence. I mean, it's, you're straddling. Let, let, let's get off. Let's, let's get this taken care of. And by the way, let's do it in the right way. This isn't about getting angry. It's about getting repentant. And it starts with the pastor. And then it starts with dads and leaders in our homes, parents, Let's just, in our small groups this week, could I ask y'all to have good discussions about this and get honest with one another and just open and share and ask each other to pray for one another about the areas that you're trying to repair? I, I, I promise it will make you feel so much better to know that you've got a brother or a sister that's in your corner cheering you on. Shall we bow for prayer? With heads bowed and eyes closed, just for a moment. We're going to have a